I had uh, the thought of continuing what I, where we were this morning. That was in my heart to talk about blessing, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about blessing, but I just feel tonight, just being in his presence, that the Lord has said, I don't want you to talk about that. And uh, he's adjusted me to share on something else. And uh, I have to be obedient to what he said. And when Jeff just shared what he did, it just confirmed it. Because he spoke about reverence. And uh, I want to speak about godly fear tonight. That means reverence. And honor to him. And where Marge and I go, we love to carry the message that God is love. We love to carry the message of the Father's heart, which is a heart of love. But Although God is accessible to us in love, he is still holy. And the fact that God is love must never detract from the fact that God is holy. He is the same all the time. And the fact that he is love causes us to be drawn to his love. The fact that he is holy produces reverent fear. And the fear of the Lord is a consistent theme in Scripture. And even though God is love, the fear of the Lord is still an important aspect of our relationship with him. We are to walk in the reverent fear of the Lord. So you might say, well, doesn't the Bible say perfect love casts out all fear? Yes, it does. Perfect love does cast out all fear, but John goes on to explain what that fear is, which is fear of punishment. Perfect love does not cast out the holy fear of the Lord. The holy fear of the Lord is to be right through the scriptures and into the new covenant. And although he loves me, he wants to work with his Holy Spirit in my life to produce his nature in me which means that holiness is to be the character of my life as well as the nature of his love. And if holiness is to be the character of my life, then it has to, I have to embrace the fear of the Lord. And anybody that speaks a message of love, that God is love, without also taking a hold of the fear of the Lord 
is actually preaching an imbalanced message. And yes, I can come to my heavenly papa any time I want, but it does not mean I can live any way I want. That is not love, that is license. And God does not give license to live however we want. He wants us to live in his holy fear. So I, I want to unwrap this a little bit from the scriptures, okay? So Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want you to see how love and fear are joined together. And we must never separate holy fear from passionate love. It must be in balance and tension in all that we do. If you have one without the other, we're imbalanced. To have love without holy fear is imbalanced. To have holy fear without love is also imbalanced. And I believe God wants us to bring them both together in our lives. So this is the way that we live. This is the way that Jesus lived. So Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 12. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul is the first and foremost commandment. But right in that verse that Jesus quotes as the first and foremost commandment, along with love, is also the word fear. Did you see that? Right at the beginning, what does the Lord require from you? Number one, to fear. Fear the Lord your God. That is to live in reverence and awe of the Holy One who is holy. He alone is holy. And so right in the Old Covenant we have the introduction of love and fear not being mutually exclusive but working together so that we can be accepted by him but we are to live in honor and reverence of who he is and this theme of love and fear working together comes right through the scriptures you can't have one without the other any Many message that proclaims either or is not carrying the balance of the scripture. So let's come into the New Testament and let me give you an example from the New Testament. Who was the disciple that was the closest to Jesus? Which one was it? John. Absolutely. John was the one who put his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. He was the one that was so close to Jesus, Jesus allowed him to rest his head on his chest, on his heart, as it were. John 
could feel the heartbeat of Jesus. And when Jesus was speaking to them around the table and said, one of you is going to betray me tonight, Peter, who isn't close to Jesus, but is also at the table, says to John, ask him, who's he speaking about? Which one of us is it? Now, Peter was the apostle that was given the keys of the kingdom, if you remember. He carried an authority to open and to loose, which he exercised on the day of Pentecost when he opened the door of the gospel to all those that were in Jerusalem from all over the known world at that time, that they too might receive forgiveness from sins and the baptism of the Spirit. He had the keys of the kingdom, And this man who was given the authority by Jesus was asking John, because John was close to Jesus' heart, who is it, Lord? And, And Jesus says, it's the one who's about to dip his bread in with me is the one who will betray me. And when he did it, Judas dipped his bread in, and so they knew that Judas was going to betray him. They didn't understand all that was going on. But it was John's intimacy, love for Jesus, he is, the, he is the apostle that speaks about love to a degree that is higher than any other apostle. Read his gospel. It's just filled with love. And he is the apostle that explains to us in his epistles that God is love. But John also writes Revelation. Let's just go there a moment to Revelation chapter 1. And John has this vision on the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled there because of the persecution of the Roman Empire on Christians. And so he's on this isolated island and he has a vision. Revelation 1 verse 9. I, John your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him I fell at his feet like a dead man. Now, this was the John 
that put his head on Jesus' bosom against his heart was an apostle of love. But in this vision that he has of Jesus with his face burning with an intensity and a brilliance and a radiance that is brighter than the sun. Eyes like burning flames of fire. He didn't say to Jesus, can I cuddle into your chest? He didn't say, I'm feeling the love. He fell at his feet like a dead man. Why? Because of the holy reverence of the Almighty One who's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the ruler of the universe, the one who has all authority in heaven, who is the Holy One, and in his presence he drops dead at his feet. And Jesus picks him up, strengthens him in his moment where his strength seems to leak out of his body, raises him up again and gives him understanding as what the seven stars and the seven lampstands mean. We won't go into that tonight because that's not our focus, but my focus is that the man who experienced love was the man who also experienced reverent fear. And he didn't say, Jesus, you're my buddy. He was awestruck in his presence. And hear me, I am committed to a message of love for the rest of my life. I am convinced that the nature of God is agape. I am convinced that I and us all are on a journey into greater dimensions of agape. I'm convinced of that. But unless we ally the reverent fear of the Lord with the love, the agape love of God, we will be imbalanced. I want to say to you tonight that God loves you unconditionally. Amen. All right? All right? Yep. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He loves you as you are, but his intention is to conform you to look like Jesus. And I must keep in tension the fact that he loves me, but he wants to change me. He loves me as I am, but he's not content to leave me as I am. And if my focus is just that he loves you just as you are, it tends to lead to a gospel of loosey-goosey Christianity. 
can show up when I want, do what I want, hang around with who I want. And that gospel is not a gospel of holiness. And because God is holy, he wants us to be holy too. Holy isn't about legalistic keeping of the rules. Holiness is about intimacy of relationship with the Holy One. He alone is holy. None of us are holy apart from Him. You understand that? I am not holy apart from Him. Any holiness that I have comes from my relationship with Him because He alone is holy. But if I am in relationship with him, it means that I am to develop holiness in my life. Separation from sin and separation to God. And sin is not something that I can live in if I am perfect in holiness in the fear of God. So let me turn to that scripture that I've just quoted you in 2 Corinthians. That's where it's found. I'll just mention two scriptures here. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1. And working together with him... We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So what Paul is saying is this, that he is a co-worker, a co-laborer, a partner with Jesus Christ. And this is what God has called all of us to be, to be so yoked to him that we are partnering with him in our lives. And the reality is, Jesus said it, without me you can do Nothing. So we require partnership. We require co-laboring, co-working with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit to do the things he's called us to do. He's, he's called us to do the impossible, okay? Right. Healing the sick is an impossibility for a human being. He's called us into the impossible Partnership with him is a calling into the impossible. So we're called into intimacy, into partnership, into closeness with him. Wonderful. This is just a wonderful love relationship. But let's flip over to chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I want to say to you, the fear of God is not kicked out of the door because we have the love of God. The fear of God is to be allied to the love of God so that we live a life of balance and tension with love and fear together. I say not fear of punishment, but reverent fear of God. And it means that whatever partnership I have with God, if he highlights issues in me, then I am to, it is my responsibility 
to cooperate with him to cleanse myself from all defilement of flesh and spirit. So I can't partner with something that he can't partner with. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So is yours. I'll speak of me for a moment, okay? So the Holy Spirit dwells within me. Remember, he is Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to sanctify my body and my soul. Separate me apart so that how I think, how I live is separated to honor God. If my body is a temple of God, the dwelling place of God, I cannot do with my body what I want. It's no longer mine. It belongs to the Lord. That's why he says in this chapter 6, verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. That is, don't get married to people who aren't saved. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light and darkness? Or what harmony is Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And so, there are things that people in society may do, but as God's holy people... We are to live by a different value system. And we are to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. So for me, the fear of the Lord is an absolute essential ingredient to our walk with God. The fear of the Lord is so wonderful because Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you want to know wisdom of how to live life, the first thing is not to pursue wisdom, it is to discover the fear of the Lord. Because when you discover the fear of the Lord, wisdom follows. Reverence and awe of the Holy One is not an optional extra for us. It's an essential part of our relationship with the Lord. And we're not doing it 
because of rules and regulations perfecting this holiness. We're doing it because we love him. But I feel the Holy Spirit wants to highlight to us in this room tonight and to you as a community that because we place great emphasis on the love of God, it does not mean that the fear of the Lord has no place. And that as much as I want to grow in the love of God, I also want to grow in the fear of the Lord. And if I grow in one without the other, then my life is imbalanced. In saying this to you, I want you to know there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. This is not about imposing rules on you, dear beloved. It's not about that. It is about a call to deeper intimacy. And if we have a call to deeper intimacy, we cannot embrace lifestyles, patterns of living that are incompatible with the nature of Jesus. The journey of love is the journey in the fear of the Lord. I cannot have the world as my yardstick. I have to have Jesus. He is the one who is the plumb line. If it's in him, it's fine for me. If it's not in him and he's not permitting it, then it's not fine for me. And he loves you too much for any of us to embrace stuff that he doesn't want us to have. And if he is not permitting us to have this, it's not because he wants to punish us or hurt us. He wants to love, protect, and release us to a future glory that this stuff that he wants us to yield to him will inhibit us from coming into. So having these promises that we can come into the fullness of sonship, our responsibility, according to Paul, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. This verse is really troublesome for people who believe that they have everything at the cross. I believe that Jesus paid for everything at the cross. We don't always appropriate what he paid for at the cross. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 does come before if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creature, creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. I believe that. 
I come out of Adam and I come into Christ. The old is gone. I'm no longer in Adam. The new has come. I am now in Christ. But just because I am all in Christ does not mean that all of Christ is in me. You understand? Yes. That's why if I find anything that doesn't honor Jesus where the Holy Spirit shows it, then I must cleanse myself from every defilement of body and spirit. It's no accident that 2 Corinthians 7.1 comes after 2 Corinthians 5.17. But it's from a place of acceptance. It's from a place of being in Christ, having been given his spirit, that I'm now able in partnership with him to deal with the stuff that's defiling so that I can walk out of that which is defilement and into that which is holiness. This is why it's so important, is that Jesus, the Holy One, wants a bride who's just like him. He doesn't want to marry somebody that doesn't share his nature. And the scripture says that the bride makes herself ready. And yesterday, Marge and I were at a wedding, and the bride came in, and as she came in on the arm of her dad, as beautiful as the bridesmaids were that came in before her, as stunning as they were and as they looked, and we all thought, wow. When she walked in through the door, there was a corporate, wow. She was carrying a beauty. She had made herself ready. And as she walked down the aisle to be stood next to her groom, he looked around and his face was just filled with delight. Why? Because he was a lady that was compatible to him. And he was looking forward to entering into married relationship with Our marriages are simply reflective of Christ and the bride and Christ the Holy One is going to want a bride that is in nature like he is, is holy. And so the reason we're perfecting holiness in the sight of God is not because of legalistic duty, it's out of love. It's out of a desire to please him. It's marrying love and fear in wholesomeness to please the Lord. So tonight, as I feel the Lord has asked me to share this with you, I'm just asking you to open your hearts before him. Asking you to allow the Holy Spirit to search you. And see if there's any hurtful way, any way that is not honoring him. And if so, to simply 
confess, bring it to the light, and open your heart before him, that he might work with you to see holiness being perfected. Jeff, you, you, you need to come. Yeah. Thanks.